Hello and welcome to Medium of the Month. This is season two of Medium Month where we refresh every single medium. This week I have a close friend that I have been wanting to have on the show for a while, but just had to wait till we refresh so we could talk about a topic that no one else seems to care about but us. I am talking to one Brian Keese. Hey, buddy. How's it going? It is going very well. I am very much looking forward to talking to you about that special topic that you read right in the liner. It is sports. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, I feel like uh, we we had to wait a little bit for season two of the show, but also because we both had a, a very important life development right around the same time. Yes, this is also a... Um, Holden kind of a, and I had a baby, everyone. Uh, <laughs> together yep <laughs> and i and i cannot shed the baby weight for the life of me <laughs> um yes this is this is also a uh, ploy for us just to have dad talk essentially mhm mhm uh, yeah i know uh, the bill simmons show they do parent corner i'm looking looking forward to having that myself no absolutely um our ch- children childs uh babies are only 9 days apart so we're both in the realm of young infant uh, moving on to whatever next step of, you know, I, I, I feel like I, I was looking at every I'm like, when do babies start crawling? I'm like, I, 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 she should be crawling by now, but it's like, ah, they don't start crawling to like eight months or something ridiculous. Yeah. Like that. I yeah. Like, I, I yeah ours isn't that even one. like, ours isn't even really trying to roll over yet. He's kind of like, we put him on the ground and he just kind of looks at us for a few minutes and then just like splays his arms out and face plants. Uh, so that's good. Uh, he has recently, like the last day or two, it seems like he's starting to try and like push off on his hands a little bit. So we're hoping the rollover comes soon. Uh, I think that's supposed to be around like five, six months. So, yeah, no, Claire is Claire is definitely a wiggler at the very least. Mm-hmm. Um, she's definitely getting a lot better with, uh, her neck strength you know we're trying to do as much time times as she allows us to without you know causing a fit but um she's she's been doing really good so i'm i've been very pleased with her progress i think her visions have been improving a lot so it's good to know that we're both uh you know on the up and up with the little baby booze yeah absolutely absolutely and i think one thing we nailed for sure is at least our our namings i i had one claire jubilee and your son's name is Atticus Luke. Yeah. Great name. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I would have gone with, uh, you know, Thomas Boston if uh, I had my druthers, but uh, that got shot down pretty quick. Um, and uh, unfortunately for everyone listening tonight, we won't be talking about the uh, great Tom Brady who just announced his retirement uh, this past week. Uh, but that's OK. We're still talking sports and I'm very excited about that. Yeah, um, arguably we're talking better sports. Uh, if I <laughs> might, I add. I mean, no, I I love I love football, but uh, talking about Tom Brady would m- maybe make me. Here's well, I heard thing. you say during the last sports episode because I re-listened to it today to prepare for this, mm-hmm. and you said you said um, that you think you might dislike Joey Chestnut more than Tom Brady. Oh yeah, no, I I have a. Um, I guess the easiest way to say this, I have a hater complexion um, mm-hmm. where, where if someone is undeniably the greatest at something, I just can't help but hate them. Even if they're like generally likable, like Lewis Hamilton, I'm he's generally a likable guy. He's an F1 driver, but he's like pretty much the greatest F1 driver of all time. At least he's the current, he's like the Tom Brady of, of, of the modern age. 
in F1 and I just can't stand him. Like I, I want to see him lose. Um, the same thing with Tom Brady. Like there's some like decent parts about him, but all I can't get past like him kissing his son on the lips all the time. Um, <laughs> I can't, I, I can't get past, um, avocado ice cream is his cheat meal. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's just a, like a lot of little things that just like, um, cause me to hiccup on, um, you know, people, sure. I, I, I stick to things that I hate about them and I, I just don't let them go. You know, every, I, I do enjoy, uh, the show family guy. I understand it can get a bit too much sometimes, but every once in a while they just absolutely nail a piece of humor, especially new England stuff, because that's where the show is set. And that's where a lot of the writers are from. Um, but there was an episode where Peter comes home drunk and walks into Chris's room and is just like, come over here. I'm going to give you a Tom Brady kiss. <laughs> <laughs> I thought of you and thought of that episode. I was just, I just started cracking up. Yeah, that's, that sounds appropriate. Um, <laughs> well, here's the good news listeners. You don't have to hear Thomas Brady's name be mentioned anymore on the show. We are now going to talk about, uh, two different, very different sports. Um, that we both kind of came up with our own abolitions that we're both you know passionate about in our own ways, and kind of we introduced each other to them. Um, I gave Brian the topic of sumo wrestling, and he gave me the topic of curling. Uh, we both gave each other specific YouTube videos to watch. Um, I gave him a couple, um, you know, the traditional Japanese uh, sumo wrestling, and also the U.S. Open, and then he gave me the uh, 2018 uh, gold medal. Um, against usa and sweden as well as like a a top 50 curling shots of all time video so uh, without further ado we're going to open up with sumo wrestling so let's get a little bit background here brian what is Mm -hmm. your background if if any with sumo wrestling uh so i definitely went to uh some wwf matches as a kid where one of the featured wrestlers was yokozuna class uh yeah, and uh, and honestly, like I, I probably had the same uh, stereotypical image in my head of just two very large men uh, wearing essentially, you know, it looks like at first glance an adult diaper. And I don't say that to offend. That's just, I think, what people think of when they think of sumo. I'm now much more educated on the topic of what that that is. The Milwaukee. Absolutely. Yes. Um, but just like, you know, just charging at each other and seeing who can push the other person out of the ring. And after watching the videos you sent, especially that rules video, which was super informative, and I'm very glad you sent that <laughs> before oh, I yeah. tried to watch anything else. Um, I just didn't realize like how uh, violent it could be, I guess. Like it's it's violent anyways, because you have these two large bodies crashing against each other. But like, it's no punching, no groin hits. Otherwise, like pretty much anything goes in, in sumo. Yeah. Like they're slapping, they're kicking, they're tripping, uh, they're throwing. Um, one of the videos you sent me, I I picked out a couple of highlights there where two people literally just pick their opponent up and carry them out of the ring. Yeah. <laughs> Which has to be like because sumo is very much a sport that is about honor. Like, I feel like that's got to be one of the most embarrassing ways to lose. Like, no, absolutely. Very disrespectful. <laughs> no. And I think that's one of the great things about sumo is that um, it, it's, it, I mean, I bring this back to football, which is my first love. I played defensive end. And like, that was one of my favorite parts of the whole sport was just the battle that was on the line. And that's like every sumo bout is the battle on the line every time. Mm-hmm. And except you, you can get dirtier. You can, you know, choke someone out. You know, you can hands the throat. You know, you can't do that in football. 
you know, the, right. the, the, the different kind of things like you can suplex someone. You can't do that in football. You know, just like it's a combination of things I already knew and love. Like when I watched Rikishi in the WWE when I was a kid and when I watched E Honda when I played the Street Fighter, you know, it was all those like I had these formidable things that I started to like. And then when I finally saw it like fruit out and I watched all these YouTube videos, I really got big into sumo. So I'm, I'm glad uh, at least your initial perception was changed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I had like, I was, so, so this is awesome that you were a defensive end in football and you have a little bit of experiences with this. Cause I was going to ask like, what, what would your strategy be if you're going up in there, you know, uh, in like the 250 pound weight class against another dude, like what, what is your strategy when they touch fists to the ground and that guy comes charging at you? Like, what are you doing? Great, great question. I love this question. So I'm thinking I I'm six, seven, so I got to use my height to my advantage here. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not going like a lot of people like to do like head to shoulder. You'll see they immediately just try to like bull rush with their head. I think what I'm doing is I'm going, I'm, I'm grabbing for the Mawashi. I'm grabbing right for the belt. I'm using my long arms and I'm, I'm probably going to try to do a, like a twist. I think that's, that's where as long once you get the, the belt, they call it the like Mongolian grip because you know, most Mongolian sumo wrestlers are so great at just grabbing on the belt and then just kind of controlling from a distance and then not allowing their opponent to grab their belt. And so I'm grabbing on that belt and I'm doing some kind of twist. I'm doing some kind of throw because I feel like that's the most like satisfying uh, way to get a win. You know, you never just want to push out an opponent and it's like, oh, great. You're just stronger than them. But like to get like a like a get them on their back, that's a defeat that you feel like uh, you, you don't want to get up from anymore. So if I can do yeah. that to my opponent, that, I think that'd be my strategy. Yeah, there is definitely like a difference level in the crowd hype for like a push out of the ring versus a throw. Right. Um, that's like very noticeable. And like, here's one question I had, and, and I'm sure this is maybe this is a legitimate strategy. Maybe it's not. Um, but they always both seem to just charge at each other. Like, is there any merit to the strategy of just like trying to sidestep and let the guy run past you? Like, does that happen? Is that is I wasn't sure if that's like a dishonorable thing. Like, you don't do that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think you're definitely onto something there. Um, I've had that thought, too, because I've done that in football. Uh, mm-hmm. and, it, and it would always irritate whoever was like supposed to block me. They would always get pissed off because I usually just didn't practice just to kind of see if I can do it in a game. But they would always get mad because, you know, they'd, they'd stumble and fall forward and I'd, I'd get the tackle or something. And they'd be like, well, why, why didn't you why, why didn't you like engage with me? And I was like, well, because why would I if I don't have to? Like, yeah, I, I exactly. make the play. So I think I think you definitely could do something like that because they're all so forward leaning, like right off the mm-hmm. bout. You're so forward leaning. I mean, sometimes you'll see some. Uh, I think in one of the videos, um, uh, Hakuho, the Yakuza, um, he he did the a Yokozuna, uh, not the yeah. Yakuza. That's Thank a you. different thing. Thank you, Yokozuna. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you. Uh, I mean, he could, he could be both. True, <laughs> 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 them are. I actually have a note about that. So. Oh, good, good, good. I look forward to hearing that. Um, but he, in one of his final bouts, um, he started very far back. And just to play yes. a mind game. Oh, I'm so glad you brought this up. I, I absolutely watched that this afternoon. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. It, so he, he was playing a mind game with uh, Tarana Fuji, who was the, um, basically, he's, he's the one who took uh, his spot. And um, he started way far back. And, and this was just something that no one saw coming. Even the announcers, like no one, no one foresaw this. And I think that's kind of playing into what you're talking about. You, you probably could do something like that, like a, like a sidestep. But I think the initial bout starts when you engage. And so if you choose not to engage, I think it's not in the mm. ideology of sumo. You're not actually 
being a part of the sport, you need to engage in order to start the kind of like a scrum. You need to engage in order to make the ceremony of sumo wrestling happen. Gotcha. So I'm so glad you brought this match up though. And the, the announcer or the recapper uh, in that video you sent mentioned that he actually was doing that as like an homage to an older uh, sumo wrestler, right. uh, which was pretty cool. Um, I know you said we weren't going to mention his name again on this show, but can we just acknowledge that Hakuo show is the Tom Brady of sumo? Um, I guess. Their careers I... started the same year. They're both around 2001. Uh, show has won 45 division titles. At the time of that 2021 final, he was the only Yokozuna in the world. And he's going up against this young gun who's who's gunning for the Yokozuna title. They tell everyone if he wins this, he's almost a lock to become a Yokozuna, which is a very complicated process. And he just shows Terunofoji the, the door. He's like, nah, sorry, I'm still the king. It was like it was like watching Brady and Mahomes in 2018. I loved it. I loved every minute of it. Yeah. So I'll say, I'll say, okay, great, great comparison. Sure. But I was, I will even say Hakuho was even greater because he went out on top. He went out undefeated 15 and 0 in his final um, bout uh, tournament. And uh, that's, that's essentially the, that's like if Brady won a Super Bowl in an undefeated season and then he retired, except, you know, it, it didn't quite end as, as he would hope. So mm-hmm. I, I would even say put him on a, a step above where Brady's at in the world of sumo. That's fair. That's fair. I, I loved watching those videos you sent in order to, because it really built up, built up this narrative. Cause the first one you sent, uh, Taron Fuji won that one, uh, the 2018 one. And so then as I'm watching the 2021 one, it's like, Oh, I see this guy. I recognize him. I like his style from the first video, but here comes the old dog, you know? And, He's 36, which is like 45, which is what Tom Brady is when you're in sumo wrestling and doing something totally. that's so debilitating to your body. But uh, and he had missed like six tournaments before this. Uh, I was reading on his Wikipedia today that he had actually gotten like a warning letter that if you keep missing tournaments, we're going to strip you of your titles, which they had yeah. like never sent a letter like that before. So he kind of had to show up with a bad knee and just like give it what he could and what he could do is still good enough to go undefeated in this tournament. Yeah. Yeah. No. And and that tournament was perfect because everybody was hoping, you know, the final bout would be Terno Fuji versus Hakuho. And of course they got what they wanted and he went out the King and, um, and now Terno Fuji is his, is in his spot now. Um, and he just pretty much dominates the competition. I watched the January Basho and I, uh, actually there's a fantasy sumo league, where you uh, draft um, sumo wrestlers and e- each day, each time they win, because uh, you only do one bout per day, essentially. Um, and uh, everybody wrestles every single day for like 13, 14 days, and that's how a normal tournament goes. And so every time they win, you get a point. Um, and so, of course, whoever was first in the draft, everyone picked Teru because he's going to just dominate. I think he ended up going like 14-2 right. or something like that. Um, but but it's just it's just funny watching him dominate now. It's just like, he it's going to be like um in the ufc world um daniel cormier and john jones they had this really like bitter rivalry and it was was so intense and um and now daniel cormier is retired he he was down in that rivalry like two to zero so john jones beat him two different times and daniel cormier will always have that blemish like even though he's Mm -hmm. like people regard him as like one of the greatest heavyweights of all time um he will always have that blemish that oh you lost to John Jones two different times you couldn't beat him and I think that's gonna happen with, with Terno Fuji it's like hey you, and when it when it was time to shine 
you lost to Hakuho and and now yeah you'll be a great uh Yokozuna but it's, it's not gonna matter in, in the grand yeah. scheme of like ranking overall in a way the the Cormier one feels worse since Cormier retired and not John Jones like there's not really right. anything uh Terror can do True. if show has to retire and he I mean the dude is 36 like he's got to get out of there <laughs> yeah yeah for sure um and, and so the videos you sent me that I watched of the Japan uh, tournaments, the Basho, right? Is that what they're called? That is correct. Uh, that was like my more traditional view of what Sumo was that matched up a little bit better with that. Then you also sent me these videos of uh, like the U.S. Open tournaments, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, when you see like the different weight classes and it almost feels more like a boxing or an MMA tournament um than what i was watching happen over in japan and i also noticed at the very start of the video they're like it's the biggest sumo tournament in the world outside of japan (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah and and so it's just interesting seeing like the smaller like the lightweight divisions and the women's divisions and stuff doing all this sumo wrestling and how it's it's in japan it's very traditional like they're wearing the mawashi and nothing else then you watch the u.s guys and some of them are are adhering to that but then some of them will have you know leggings on or or workout gear or whatever on underneath it and it's just it's interesting how it's westernized and how it's changed over here a little bit yeah no i i definitely had a um reason why i sent you the videos the way that i did and i'm glad you watched them in that order because i wanted you to kind of understand the structure and like where the foundation is and why uh, sumo wrestling is so important to japan and then like how um over in, in the u.s we we actually i mean it's a worldwide open but basically we adapt all those things for a more competitive style at different weights because uh sumo wrestling in japan is open weight so you could be theoretically a 250 pounder up against a 420 pounder and that's the only way that you can compete uh with them and there's a lot of in in at the highest level there's a lot of um smaller um sumo wrestlers that, that have to try to compete and they they get by with their agility but they don't have the raw power that you know the, some of these big boys do and so it's fun right. to watch in the u.s open uh when it's you know it's strictly 165 guys or you know uh 185 and they're up just against their own weight class and it feels like a lot closer to you know greco roman style wrestling because uh, you have some of these Russians or these Polish people that come over with their teams and just like dominate because they understand the foundation and they adapt it into this like traditional uh, Japanese style. And I, I like that kind of blend or that evolution of where sumo wrestling has been to where it can be now. Yeah, and I noticed at the end of the U.S. Open, they do do a second uh, open weight class tournament for anyone that wants to join it. Uh, and that was like my favorite. I have to say, I preferred overall the the Japanese style of sumo, but my favorite highlight of everything I watched today uh, was this guy named Batir, who was in the lightweight division, yeah. uh, I believe lightweight division, in the 2018 U.S. Open at 180 pounds, and in the final of the open weight class division, was going up against a dude who was 370 pounds, so more than twice his weight had his feet on the outer ring, like squatting down inches from falling, was able to grab the guy, pull himself back up and toss the guy out at the same time. And it was just like the most athletic thing I think I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the great thing about sumo is that it's electrifying to watch, like because mm-hmm. the action can happen. I mean, anywhere from like five seconds to like, you know, a long match can take two minutes if they're just taking their time. But anything can happen as long as your feet are still planted and you're still inside the ring 
anything can happen in a sumo wrestling match. So even when it looks like all is lost, you're about to fall. If you're able to keep your balance, like Batir was, you can turn anything. And that's like the great thing about it because it's all about momentum. It's all about how you use your hands and your feet. Like the small guy can win. Absolutely. Like that is a great thing about the sport. Whereas you watch a lot of other major sports, you know, combat sports, especially like boxing or UFC. If you are a smaller opponent, you are at a major disadvantage for so many different reasons. Yeah. I want to I wanted to talk to you about the uh the stage here that the the fights are set on as well a little bit. So you just mentioned boxing and UFC and I think those are great ones to bring up. So in boxing they're fighting in a ring. They've got ropes on the outside that protect them from, you know, stepping off of the edge there too badly and UFC they're in a cage. Mm-hmm. Um sumo it's like very open but they are raised up on a platform like 3 feet or so in the air. And like everyone that I saw had that same setup. And so I don't know if that's the standard or if it's just like for the big tournaments, it looks like that. It seems like there's a lot of like unnecessary injury potential from the way those rings are set up from like falling off the edges. Like I saw a couple of matches where guys were like flipping and stumbling and those are big boys going down, you know, twisting legs. And I don't know. What did what did you think of like the way that the the ring is set up for this? Yeah. So a, uh, a Japanese sumo ring is called a doyo. And essentially, it, I mean, it, I, I, I believe the origin is just, you know, you, you fight on clay and then you have like straw circle that goes around it. And there is like specific diameters that make it official. Um, but um, doyus have different heights. So I, 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 there's definitely been injuries. It's not like a big enough fall that you're going to like sprain an ankle necessarily every time, but it's definitely possible. Like it's enough of a lip there that, um, anyone who steps into it, you know, you got to take a couple steps. There's got to be some kind of like stair system to get into it because it's, it's, it's not like an easy, I mean, I would say it's almost as re- elevated as like in the, in the WWE, like a, a wrestling ring, you know, it's probably about yeah. that high off the ground. And so, you, you know, WWE wrestlers, you know, fall all the time, but it's a little bit of a different like situation when you're expecting to fall onto, you know, more of like a wrestling mat versus, you know, onto like hard clay. And I think injuries do happen all the time and it um okay and so i I think that is just another part of um, sumo being extremely traditional extremely um ingrained in the history of japan and there's just stuff that they're i think they're unwilling to change i think that is the doyo and the way that it's raised and the way that the fighters fight on a raised platform almost like a spectacle to behold that you're watching Mm -hmm. them that that they're above you even if the audience necessarily is higher up in some areas of the wherever they're watching uh, in the auditorium, but it, they are raised up on a platform that's like something to um, fix yourself onto. Well, and it's funny because I'm watching that and thinking, man, this seems dangerous. And I had the same assumptions uh, you have where it's probably just, you know, that's what they've always done. And so that's what they do. And then in the middle of that 2021 tournament, like you get into these videos and you're just like, I'm in like feudal Japan watching sumo. This is awesome. And then in the middle of that 2021 video, there's a guy who uh, they're like, and then this this uh, wrestler had to withdraw uh, because he was placed in the concussion protocol. <laughs> and I was like, wait a second, uh, it's like the NFL over here. But uh, they did point out like that that's like a very recent development for sumo again because as you've mentioned, it is very traditional. They are very loath to change things, but. Um, there was, I guess, a lot of uproar about like, hey, we need to start protecting our fighters that we care about so much. And so um, that's one change that they've made is they've adopted a, a concussion protocol to protect their athletes, which was kind of cool, but just weird to see in the middle of this video of like a very traditional event that was happening. 
No, yeah, absolutely. And, and speaking of changes, here's another change I want to happen. Um, if you're bald or if you start balding, you're actually not allowed to be rikishi anymore. You have to have hair and you have to obviously style it the specific, you know, sumo wrestling way in order to to wrestle. If, if you are bald, you just can't be rikishi. You have to withdraw. And I think that uh, we're ignoring a whole, uh, you know, if you have alopecia, uh, you know, I guess you can kiss your <laughs> dreams of being a sumo wrestler goodbye because it ain't going to happen, buddy. <laughs> What's the reasoning behind that? Is that like a virility thing? Like you have to like appear healthy? Like No, it's it's tradition, man. It's just tradition. They're so like stuck in their way of huh. like of like traditional style. And of course, like in the US Open, you can have any kind of hair. You could have been a, a, a you know, a a former uh, Japanese rikishi going to uh, the states or something and you could have uh, totally done that. But in that specific in the the one because uh, there's so many different leagues of sumo wrestling in Japan, uh but the, at the highest tier um, or any competitive tier in that um, kind of feeder league, essentially, you have to have your hair styled in that specific way. And you'll see um, at the lowest levels, like some of the young bucks that are coming out of high school, you'll see that they weigh their hair down because they're still growing it out. Like they haven't quite got to the like length in order to like <laughs> right. style it that way. Uh, but yeah, every yeah. single, it has to be uniform. Everybody has to do that, um, uh, their hair in that specific kind of ponytail where it's like, um, Wow. like kind of like a bent style and then like pointing up and if you haven't seen it before yeah that's that's super interesting and there i also really enjoyed watching um a lot of the pre-match ritual uh you know throwing um i, I i'm not even sure what they're if that's just like talcum that they're throwing into the yeah. ring there at the start um but like very reminiscent of like lebron coming out for an nba totally. game and throwing the powder up in the air and then uh, having the Yokos in a, you know, often Hakuo show and the videos we were watching, uh, come out and do the, the stance, the traditional, you know, sumo stance, uh, sumo stance, uh, to start things off. And, uh, like that's just all the pomp and circumstance around it is really cool. You know, the, the winter Olympics have just started up this week and I've loved watching like the opening ceremonies and stuff and seeing everyone in the traditional outfits and everything. Like, I love stuff like that, like history type stuff. So I got, I got really into all the ritual stuff. The referee uniforms are incredible. Uh, like that's the job I would want. I think if I could go over and uh, get involved in sumo, they get to carry around the fan. Like that seems like the best job in the building. Yeah, no, I, I love the referees, man. I like, I just kind of get giggled to myself. Cause like the entire time, uh, that a uh, wrestling bout is going on, they are yelling. They're just they're <laughs> yeah. they're yelling something in Japanese, and I think it's just saying like I think they're essentially saying that it's continuing. Like it's like it's like uh it, you know go go go. Essentially, like it, there's something that's going on. Um, mm-hmm. but <laughs> it is just so funny because they're so like elongated and like loud, and it's like everyone's death like so quiet until like if there's a standstill or something the whole entire crowd will start clapping. And so they'll, they'll clap. Even like in the mes- middle of a uh, match, they'll start clapping because they're like, oh, this is a good match, so we'll clap. Uh, but otherwise, everyone is deadly silent except the referee just yelling like at the top of his lungs like something specifically about like what is happening in the match. Um, and they also have a very important job in, in Japan, at least. At the beginning of every single day, they read off what is going to happen. So they read mm-hmm. off like very loudly and very slowly. Uh, if I was... if the, if they were speaking English and it was a fight against UFC fighters, it would be something like this. It'd be like John Jones versus Daniel Cormier. Like, and then, so they'll do that for every single um, bout for that entire day. 
and it takes a very long time. So they're very, very into their <laughs> rituals. Um, and it referee is definitely a, a uh, unforgiving position because you'll often get in the way of whatever's happening. And that's just a part of the sport. Um, but it, but it's fun. And they're in this super, the gear is so heavy and it's so like flowy. It's like a giant dr- like dress, like a, like a traditional Japanese dress. And it's, it's mm-hmm. great. So I'm, I'm glad you appreciated the, the ritualistic part of the sport. I did. Yeah. And the, and the tiebreaker, uh, if the referee can't make a decision on who wins, they have, uh, five more guys in traditional black robes that come in and all stand in the center of the ring and talk it over like a referee review and, uh, the NFL before they make a decision. Um, Oh, go ahead. I would say that rule is, uh, that, that rule has actually uh, been there for a while. Like that, that's actually something that's like, uh, uh, if it can't be conclusive, like it's like almost like the the tournament of kings need to come together and like yeah. discuss what your official punishment or official ruling is, and it's it's it feels very uh, medieval. <laughs> um, and the last thing I wanted to bring up, just because I thought it was both amazing and hilarious, uh, is at the start of one of the videos they talk about how. Uh, at the beginning of the tournament, they will bring out these banners that have the sponsors and what they're yes. contributing to the prize pool. And then you can see in the videos, as soon as a fighter fights their last fight of the tournament, they immediately come and hand them just envelopes of cash. And it's not yeah. like it's not like one envelope of cash unless you did poorly. Uh, like the guy that wins, they showed him holding like two stacks of like 15 envelopes. Like he'd just gone to a wedding or something and stolen everything off the table. Uh, and I just think that's amazing that they just like, all right, you won. Here's your money right now. Just immediately pay this man. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, the, oh, your cult is always one of the um, uh, companies that sponsors uh, the sumo wrestling. And so you always see their banner uh, come around. Um, and, and it's definitely again, it, that's that's been around forever, too. Just uh, money in an envelope. It's always been that way. And so it always will be that way. It's not you're not going to get any direct deposits from the, any kind of sumo uh, federation. Um, my last, uh, b- bit of, uh, information that I, I love that when you bring up rituals, I love the slapping of the Mawashi every single bout, mm. they will start slapping in a, like a certain pattern. It's not like a, it's not like a down slap. It's like an up slap. So they slap it cause they also have the, the, like the chalk on their hands. So they're kind of slapping it onto, uh, the belt, but it's just, it's like a, it's like a rhythm. They're like looking around, they're slapping out their belt. They're kind of thinking about what they're going to do, but their bellies also kind of get a little bit of a jiggle. There's just something about as soon as they start slapping the belt, you know the sumo uh, bout is about to begin because there's a lot of like foreplay before it actually starts. There's a lot of like talking. There's a lot of walking around. They like kind of get set up like they're about to start it and they back off. You know, there's a lot of that every single bout. And so as soon as they start slapping it, the up slaps, the belly jiggle, you know it's about to go down. And I almost want to like, um, I almost want to do that like next time I'm up at any sport. Like if I if I play like uh, mm-hmm. slow pitch softball again, I kind of want to do that. Even if I'm not wearing a belt or mawashi, I just want to start doing that as I walk up to bat. I just feel like <laughs> that's the ultimate pregame. After I watched these videos today, I absolutely walked over to Atticus uh, in his in his swing chair and did the the big leg kick out to the side, and then the other leg kick out to the side, and slapped my belly a few times, and he nice. got a big kick out of that. So. Nice. And he said, "Go back to go back to school, Dad." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've had enough of you already. <laughs> yeah, and I, I actually, so I, I'm using this as a, a bad segue transition, but I do have one last thing I want to talk about because when you brought this topic up, uh, the first thing I had asked you about was if you had ever heard of uh, Freakonomics, mm-hmm. which is a great, great podcast, but uh, was a really good book 
before that as well. And it's these uh, economists who looked into these weird trends uh, and things that were happening and tried to answer the question of why. Um, But one of the questions that they asked in their original book was, what do school teachers and sumo wrestlers have in common? Uh, And so being a school teacher myself, uh, I remembered that when you said, hey, let's talk about sumo. And so I went back and looked at this article again. And it was cheating, Holden. Yes. Uh, Sumo wrestlers, huge cheaters. (laughs) Turns out. Yeah, I don't know if you know about this, but... um, they found in tournaments in Japan, uh, the if and, and this is just an example, general example, but uh, we mentioned that they fight, you know, 15 matches in 15 days. And towards the end of the tournament, if they know they're not going to win the tournament necessarily, there is a lot of heavy betting that goes on on these tournaments. And so if the last match doesn't really matter to them one way or the other, a lot of them will take a dive to get a better payday. Uh, against an inferior opponent. And so what it said here was that in the study, uh, opponents who are 7-7 seven and seven going against someone who is 9-5 were predicted to win about 47.2% of the fights. The actual win percentage for those fighters was 73.4. <laughs> so, wow. so about a quarter of those fighters uh, were cheating. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and they they compared this to a study they did in Chicago public schools where uh, test scores on standardized testing got inflated because teachers were trying to earn uh, bonuses on their paycheck. And so there was teacher tampering as well. But um, this sumo stuff was attributed to, again, a lot of these guys, especially at the lower divisions, make minimum wage or less to fight in these tournaments. And so they're looking for, you know, quick payday. Uh, a lot of it does come from, uh, you know, you mentioned Yakuza earlier instead of Yokozuna, but a lot of it does come from there as well, uh, reportedly. So you know, allegedly, don't come after me, Yakuza, please. But uh, I just <laughs> thought that was that was pretty interesting. And if you're you're interested in it, uh, feel free to look that up. Freakonomics is the name of the book, and people can check that out. You can find a lot of info free online about it too. Yeah, that was a very uh, fascinating article. Thank you for sharing that for me. I, I did read that one. Um, so uh, of course, with any kind of how to waste your time property, you already knew this was coming. Ratings. So out of one hundred, what would you rate sumo wrestling? Can I give a separate rating to East versus West? Uh, Are you okay yeah, with that? Yeah, that's that's fair. That's the fair. I just think they're so different. Um, and East is definitely you know where it's at for me. If I'm gonna watch sumo in the future, it's gonna be uh, the traditional Japan sumo. And so, uh, no doubt. I'm gonna go with an 83. I think uh, I'm I'm taking off a couple of points just because my boy Hako Show, the Tom Brady of sumo, uh, is now retired, and so uh, like the real Tom Brady, I, I won't get any chance to to see him ascend to greatness in the future. But uh, it's it's incredible, man, and it's so much more exciting and hype than I realized. Like those crowds are crazy, and it's so much fun to watch. No, absolutely, yeah. I think I would. Uh... I'd probably rate the, the, at least in the East, I'd rate the sport probably around, uh, I think I would give it my Grady 88. Um, I think mm-hmm. I, I like I like a lot about it. Um, I, I got into the rabbit hole back in uh, 2017, and I just never like crawled out. Like I, I, I stayed up one night till like 3 a.m. just watching sumo highlights because I just was like, why, why have I been living in this hole my whole life and not realizing how great this sport is? Um, <laughs> 
and, and so I, I love that but there is definitely a, there's a downside to it because not every single bout is electric you're gonna have some real stinkers whether it's two guys leaning on each other because they've ex- extended all of their energy that like exists in their 350 pound bodies um mm-hmm. or uh sometimes it's like oh this is gonna be a great one and then it's just like Oh, he just fell, you know, yeah, or he put his hand right. down. And if you put your hand down, that's the end of the match because it has to that's be, it. Yeah. you know, Which, up, yeah, so. that's the thing I didn't realize. I thought you had to go like all the way down. I didn't realize you can't even, yeah, you can't even put a hand down. If anything, but your soles of your feet touches the ground, you're out. Yeah. What about, um, what and, about in the West? Yeah. So with the West, I'm going a little bit lower. Uh, like I said, I think the best match I watched out of everything you sent was in the West, but overall, the quality of the product is just not the same without the full tradition of Japanese sumo. And there's so few of those Japanese guys that compete in Western sumo because there's there's no like fame for it there, you know, and there's no money in it. So uh, I still enjoyed it, um, but I'm going to go down to like a ooh, like a 68, 67, ooh. somewhere in that range. Yeah, I'm at least giving it a 75. I, I, I do like uh, the West a lot. Uh, but but it is probably too similar to watching like collegiate wrestling uh, at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you made the the comment about you know it's a lot of folks from like Eastern Europe doing like the Greco Roman Polish wrestling style, and it's like yeah, it almost is more like that than traditional sumo. Yeah, uh, I mean, here's the real question: Would you ever uh, do sumo wrestling given the chance? Ooh, uh, that's no. <laughs> <laughs> uh maybe maybe when i was uh 2021 20, but i'm i'm getting a lot closer to Hako show's age uh so i think i'm gonna have to sit it out at this point that's fair i i definitely like while watching it i was like man it'd be just kind of fun to just kind of spar with somebody like like obviously not someone good but just like someone who's also getting into similar i just think it'd be a little mm-hmm. fun but i probably never I think, will yeah i think also like the you so you're not allowed to punch but like they like forearm shove like i feel like you could like break a collarbone real easy yeah <laughs> so that that aspect of it seems a lot less fun when you start thinking about the toll it's going to take on your body yes um okay so now now that we've talked about a sport where you should quit while you're young let's talk about a sport that you could probably play in, in infinitively like until your legs until you can't stretch your body out i think you could curl forever and that's right baby we're talking about the sport of curling um, I, I, here's the thing we're going to talk about premonition or, or maybe our, our pre-existing notions, uh, rather about curling. I, I always had this feeling that it was like, it was so like heavily reliant on the sweepers. I didn't know what they did. Mm-hmm. Um, I just knew that if you were a sweeper in curling, like that's 90% of the sport and I have it, I had it backwards. 90% of the sport is the person who's actually doing the the toss yeah the throwing yeah the yeah and the other 10% is like if needed you get the sweepers and and most of the time you need them but i mean not every single time um will you need one and and that part kind of uh, fascinated me to to kind of flip the lid of what i thought about uh, the sport of curling mm. yeah absolutely and i will say you know you mentioned it's a sport you can play into your old age but it's definitely become something where like if you go watch the Olympics, you're not going to see a lot of people, uh, you know, over 40, 45 uh, in the in the Olympics at this point for curling. Like it's become, especially over the last 10, 15 years, I think a much more popular sport and therefore something that 
you know, if people can find a way to improve their ability to do something by improving their body, they're going to do it. And I think that's happening with curling now. Um, I was watching an interview actually today. One of the guys who's on the 2018 U.S. team has retired now and is doing commentary. And he said, like, I just couldn't like most of the team came back and I couldn't do it because I didn't want to commit to being at the gym every single day like we had to do to be ready for 2018. So there is a lot of work. And when you start to watch those uh, those throws and the sweepers you talked about, like they are doing a lot of work sweeping that ice. You have to have some pretty solid forearms, I feel like, (laughs) to uh, to make it in curling at this point with with the way the game is played these days. Yeah. So while while I kind of this is my first foray into. Uh, the world of curling while i was watching it i compared it to a lot of things because there's a lot mm-hmm. of different points of reference in my brain of what curling is like a combination of so so bear with me now uh curling is like i have i have three things written down so i'm curious how many of them you match here i'll probably i'll probably touch a few of them um yeah. cur- curling is like uh one of the biggest surprises to me is it's like pool so like if if you ever played billards um mm-hmm. A lot of the uh, the sport of curling is, uh, you know, angles and geometry. You're trying to um, uh, slide your uh, disc. What what do we call these? Uh, Stone. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you. So you try to slide the disc into your own or someone else's. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Stone. (laughs) The the stone (laughs) disc. Uh, You try to slide the stone into uh, your teams or another teams at a certain angle in order to bounce other stones out of the pit or the circle. Uh, so it's it's pulls a big inspiration for me. Um, a lot of people call uh, curling bowling on ice. Um, yep, I think that one is be, has to do with the way that you release the stone uh, and the kind of the lead up because you you know in bowling you usually have to all like a walk up and a release, and then you have to watch it move forward essentially. And there is oftentimes because they have to release it from that that T line in the center. So they're putting a little bit of spin on it. If you watch the stone, leave their hand, you'll see it turning. And then as it's going down the lane, just like in, you know, professional bowling, you will start to see it curve usually back towards the center, unless they are aiming for something outside the lane. Yes. Um, and I also, uh, worth mentioning it is a lane and there's not a lot of sports that are Mm -hmm. in lanes. I mean, I guess certain sports have pits and whatnot. We'll talk about a few of those, but it's, it's a lane reminiscent of bowling. Um, the other one that reminds me of it reminds me of chess, mostly because you have to think uh, several stones ahead of the one that you're throwing. Um, because, Absolutely, because uh, such a big part of both chess and um, curling is defense. You have to kind of set yourself up in a way to win to protect uh, your most desirable pieces or your most desirable stones. You got to protect them, and so defense is such a big part of that. And I think um, chess is it's a, it's a very much a mind game, which I. I, 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 most sports are mind games, but this one is a lot he- heavier in, you know, thinking far ahead and being a giga brain than I uh, expected it to be. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think so. You touched on a couple of the ones I had written down. I said, it's a combination of bowling chess. And then the third one I had is archery, mostly just because mm. of the, the area that they're aiming for is that very, you know, simple target yeah. of the multiple circles that, that kind of reminds you of the archery target. Um, but they have that, that center line. And so for people who don't know the way scoring works in curling, uh, is that they, they each throw the same number of stones, uh, down to the end of the lane. And then whoever's is closest, uh, gets a point. But then in addition to that, if you have any others that are closer to your opponent's first closest, you get a bonus point. So if you have the three closest stones, 
you get three points. If you have four on there, but only one is at the center and then your opponent has one right next to it, you only get that one point. And so that's where that chess aspect of it comes into it, where sometimes a team will have, you know, two or three stones set up on the outside, but their opponent has one in the middle. And so it's a lot of trying to figure out the angles and the geometry of how can we get that one in the middle out so we can score all these other points. And at the Olympic level, you don't really see many ends, uh, which is what they call essentially an inning. Uh, You don't see many ends where they're getting more than two or three points. Um, but where they're throwing eight stones each round, you could see some in, in amateur curling where there's just like bonkers points happening because they'll use their last throw and knock like four stones out of the circle. Yeah, that's that was definitely like an impressive aspect of the game was. Um, and I mentioned that he he sent me a top 50 shots of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that feels like every single one of those was sensational and perfect. So it was like, how do you rank? the perfect um the the perfect stone throw because it's like there is no failing here it's like they they all seem so crazy and like scoring points and like they're like final stones or i think they call it the hammers the last stone that you throw in a in a a set or whatever and uh and they're all so amazing that i'm like damn this was a tough job ranking them because i'm like i I looked at number 45 and I was like, I think that one was better than number 10, you know, (laughs) like you guys get so creative with it. Right. I think for the people who, who probably put that ranking together, I'm sure they know a lot more about curling than we do. And so they have reasons for that. Maybe it's like the context of the moment, something like that. But, um, yeah, there were, there were a couple there where, gosh, I think it was around number 10 and maybe we can like link that video in the show notes or something if people want to watch it. But there was one around the top 10 where, uh, it's kind of pinballed back and forth. There was, uh, I think they were throwing a yellow stone into red and there were three reds in the line. And so it banged off a one on the left side, kicked to the right, hit another one, and then kicked back to the left and hit a third one and knocked out three red stones on this one shot. And just like being able to hit it at such a precise angle requires so much skill because this is not a short lane either. It's it's right. 34 meters long, which is, I think, over 100 feet. So <laughs> it's it's like a good distance that they're having to uh, have that angle almost precisely correct to to pull this off. And and yeah, it's it's incredible skill. I don't know. Uh, you know, it's it's not the most athletic thing in the world. Um, right. And it, it's it's you know, I, I know people like to argue if it's even a sport or not, but it's an incredible skill, uh, if nothing else. Yeah, no, certainly. So it, it definitely reminded me of uh, some other things I have in here is like foundational, like inspirations in my head. Uh, other lawn games such as bocce ball, um, you know, where you're kind of throwing in a lane on like in, usually in the sand or in, on a they call it lawn bowling um, in France. They have something called patonque which is like um, it, you play it with steel balls, but it's very similar to bocce ball and it's played in a sand pit where you like, uh, or like a dirt pit where you like, you throw the ball. Um, it's, it, it's, it's overhand, but it's like underhand at the same time. You're like, you release it like an underhand style while still like flicking the wrist up. It's very interesting. I played that with a Frenchman once. Um, it reminded me a little bit of cornhole because I know you can kind of cancel each other. You played that with a Frenchman once? Yeah, it was a good time. Um, <laughs> Uh, out here talking it. like I don't know about Patanka Tonk. Come on, man. All right. Okay. Well, I'm I'm glad you. <laughs> I got did. Your... Oh, okay. No, you don't honky tonk Patanka Tonk. Yeah. <laughs> um. So in cornhole, you can cancel each other's points out of the two teams. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of thought about that, and and also 
the way that um, a lot of sports aren't really like curling, where it's like you go, I go, you go, I go. And that's how um, uh, cornhole is and curling. So I think that like kind of reminiscent. And the last one it reminded me of is a, a board game called Crokinole, which is where you shoot discs out like, like with your fingers. It's a dexterity game. And you're on one side and, and your opponent's on the other side. And essentially you're trying to get into the middle because you score like a, like a perfect, they call it like 20 points, like a 20 bomb. You score uh, 20 points if you shoot um, perfectly in the middle until like it sits perfectly. But otherwise, you start setting up defense if you don't get in the middle because you're trying to score the most points by the end of your five discs or whatever. So it's very similar to that one as well. So it's a combination of a lot of things that I like. It reminded me of a Rube Goldberg machine because you're like one thing leads to another. <laughs> Um, yeah with the combo shots and yeah yes yes engine building uh, like where you're literally setting up yourself with success uh but the 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 ultimate things that weighed curling down after all said and done is Mm -hmm. it came down to two things for me number one needlessly long like he he sent me a uh the the 2018 um gold medal sent me who are you talking to come on the (laughs) one one brian keese sent sent me this uh (laughs) this this video um and it's three hours long and he and and, and brian explained that um you know i I didn't have to watch the whole thing and that's fine and dandy and i appreciate it right um and i i watched most of it i skipped through (laughs) i I was like fast forward with the nice part was i could fast forward you know so it's like uh sure to the next shot essentially um and it, and it was it was rewarding but i'm like i couldn't help but think man this could be an hour and a half like this doesn't need to be uh, what is it? 10, 10, like the 10, idea of like- 10 ends, which are innings. Yeah. So like 10 innings essentially. So let me, let me counterpoint that for you though. Uh, I would, I would beseech you to seek out mixed doubles curling, which is actually going on right now. It started before the opening ceremonies even. Um, and it's what it sounds like. It's a, a male, female team. Uh, it's only eight ends. And it's less rocks, uh, and they actually start with some pre-placed in certain positions, um, so it's even less. It's like I think they do six throws per round and only eight rounds, so it takes like an hour for a match. So it's much quicker, a little bit more exciting because there's already stuff on the board like at the start of each round, so you're not seeing all those setup shots. Right. Um, so I would say, yeah, if, if regular curling is too slow for you, which I totally understand, uh, I would say look for uh, the mixed doubles version because it's a little bit quicker and snappier for sure. Yeah, that actually sounds great. Like one of the big things that appealed to me with F1 driving is that if a F1 race goes above two hours, they have to like call it off. So most mm. races are like an hour and a half or less. And I think that's the perfect movie length for me is 90 minutes. So if you can do 90 minutes or less, uh, like in a curling uh, bout, like that sounds great because that was that would have been so much more um, engaging in, in what I was like looking for in the sport. Yeah, you also get with the mixed doubles a lot of teams that are, you know, husband and wife or at least, you know, very close friends. So there's a lot more drama of, you know, people yelling at each other because they're a lot more comfortable with each other (laughs) potentially. Uh, I watched the Canada team play this morning. Canada is usually a heavy favorite in curling. They're very good at it generally. Um, But they were just, you know, screaming at each other and there was so much anger (laughs) after some of the shots that felt like it might be uh, an awkward plane flight back home from China. Um, but it's, it's interesting too, because, so they have these pre-play stones. They've also introduced a power play system. Uh, if you're, you know, fan of hockey, you get a power, you get a penalty on the other team, you get a power play. Uh, but once per game, a team can use a power play and it like adjusts the position of the pre-placed starting stones, 
uh, to give the team going last an advantage. And so each team gets one of those to use a game. So there's a lot of strategy around like, when do we break that out? Do we use it at the start to try and get a lead? Do we save it in case we need to make a comeback? And uh, so it just adds to kind of that strategy and, and chess match nature of it. That sounds great. Yeah, that sounds like arcade yeah. curling. I, I, I like that. <laughs> um, the second part of uh, one of the things that kind of was a red flag, I think mm-hmm. overall curling is very inaccessible. So I, I, I mm. there's a lot of sports that I look at and I think, oh, this is cool. Or like, I like this, like, because I like getting into new sports. Um, and my formidable first sport is is football, because I would just throw the pigskin around in the backyard. We'd play pickup games with whoever was on our street. And that's how I got into it. It just required people and a football. That was it. Um, however, curling, you require uh, some kind of ice of pit. You know, I mean, if you had like a, a rink or something, you could do it in that. It requires X amount of stones. It requires shoes that aren't skates, but they like ice sliding shoes. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've never seen anything like that in my life. I thought for sure they were on skates. And when I saw they weren't, I was like, whoa, what are, what are, what are these? Yeah. And that's, we haven't talked about it, but the balance they need sometimes to like, because there's a, usually by the time they get down to the end of the lane, there's like eight to 10 uh, stones already down there. And so they're having to like, twist their legs in and out of the stones that are already there to make sure they don't touch them i don't i don't know what happens if you touch them if it's some kind of like disqualification or something right. but uh like they come so close to it sometimes i'm just like how how <laughs> exactly I, I was thinking the same thing i was like i was like what happens if they touch how have i watched so many different curling shots and no one has actually bumped one single stone by their foot because they're weaving in and out of their stones their opponent's stones i figure if if they did would it just be like a like would the stone stop where they placed the stone where it got bumped or would they like reshoot or like give automatically give a point for it? Like I, there has to be some kind of rule for that. Yeah. I'm not positive. My guess is they probably DQ the stone that was just thrown on your team uh, and try to put the stone that was moved like as close to where it was as they can. I know uh, it's interesting. They, they don't use like computer technology because sometimes shots will be really close. You're like, who's is closer. Uh, they actually use like a compass device, basically, that uh, they will spin around from the center of the button, which is what they call the center of the circle, until it like hits the stone that is uh, closer, which is always kind of interesting to watch and very like uh, tense and nerve wracking if you're worried about whether or not your team just scored or gave up points. Um, yeah. It reminded me of the chain gang in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, for your information, uh, there is a Las Vegas curling club uh, <laughs> right in your home state of Nevada. They got five uh, lanes that you can go and curl on. Uh, it opened in 2012. Yikes. Um, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll think about that. I'll, I'll see that the entrance fee is like $300 or something, and I'll be like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I'll, I'll pass. Yeah, um, it's, at the, uh, it's at the Las Vegas Ice Center, which is that where the Golden Knights play? absolutely not that is that is definitely oh, okay. not what they play <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> i don't know vegas man that's some kind of like rinky dink little like place like for like, <laughs> like the middle school hockey there's also a uh, lake tahoe epic curling with uh two dedicated lanes um so those are the only two sites though in nevada so i absolutely get what you're saying about the accessibility and the cost to get into the sport uh you know places like that you can go i'm sure they they probably let you rent the stones from them. You know, if you like, if you're going to play shuffleboard at a bar, which is another game that this is very similar to. Right. Um, 
because you don't want to be lugging those things around. They weigh 44 pounds a piece. So, Whoa. <laughs> yeah, they're they're heavy, which is why I say like I think curling gets a bad rap for being probably the least athletic sport in the Winter Olympics. And I think that's an absolutely fair statement to make. But I think it is more athletic than people realize. No, that's that's fair. I, I I did come away with that thought too. I was like, yeah, this this requires a lot of like movement, a lot of balance, a lot of like brain. There's a lot of different things going on here, but ultimately, it did feel like just a, a physical um, hobby, physical, um, yeah. You know, I mean, activity. Yeah. And if you if you look at the guy who is the skip, which is what they call the captain for the 2018 U.S. team, John Schuster, who is like an American folk hero when it comes to curling now. And he seems like an absolutely awesome dude. Uh, he has been, you know, kind of the forefather of American curling, having this resurgence the last four years. There are like hundreds of facilities that have opened in the last four years, thousands of people getting into this hobby. It's getting much more competitive in the U.S. Uh, he is not like a super athletic dude. <laughs> no, <laughs> the guy that, not at all. That's the u.s team and uh he's back in 2022 and trying to defend the medal and so you said you watched most of that match like were, were there any moments where you did get a little bit hyped at the end there when it when it was you know apparent what was about to happen i know you had the ending kind of spoiled for you yeah i i, mean, I knew going in what was going to happen but of course in the eighth set um mm -hmm. there there was the moment of the entire um you know gold medal ma match essentially um, you know, US is doing very well. Um, and with the uh the the final uh stone, they knock out um the 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 two stones that were in by Sweden and they score five points and uh that's like unheard of in curling. Yeah. Absolutely, especially at Olympic level curling. That's crazy. And Schuster, like you can tell he's just so happy to be there. He had really struggled with uh having this reputation quite honestly of being a loser <laughs> like yeah uh in 2010 they had come in i think dead last place 2014 they were like next to last and they had actually kicked him off the olympic team because the reputation was getting so bad and so he formed this team they literally called themselves the rejects and they went into like the tournament to determine who's going to be the next curling team since we're not going with john schuster again and they won it. <laughs> and so wow. like, well, I guess we are going with them. And uh, going into that tournament, they were ranked fourth, but they were in the world, but they were ranked way behind the top two teams, which were Canada and Sweden. Um, and they just, they, they lost four out of their first six matches in the round robin, barely qualified for the tournament to play for medals and just ran the table from there. And it was just, uh, it's like a team in the NFL making the wild card at like eight and eight and then going and winning the super bowl you know yeah no absolutely very cinderella story very uh march madness-esque um i i think talking about that team the the part that absolutely made me giggle is when uh, the announcer explained there's a guy named matt hamilton and he has a uh, mustache and he explained that the fans of matt hamilton were known as matt's mustache militia and <laughs> I, I think anybody who identifies as a member or a part of Matt's mustache militia needs to um, go outside, um, touch grass. I, I don't know. They, I just feel like that was like the funniest thing to hear, like that it, just somebody with an iconic mustache that they're rallying behind his curling game. And he's like clearly having a great time. He's such like a like a goofy, fun guy. I, I'm, I was a fan of him immediately, but it was just funny that they're like 
I could see somebody like printing a sh- that on a t-shirt and wearing it to, you know, the Olympics. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good thing you talk so long there because I had to go outside and touch grass as a fledgling <laughs> member of Matt's Mustache Militia. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's very funny. And that that whole team is just so likable. And I'm glad yeah. most of them, it is, it, there's an aspect to it of, you know, we talked about with Brady earlier where sometimes it's kind of nice just go out on top and everyone has that great memory of you. There's a little bit of risk of them coming back this year. Uh, and, you know, the sequel is very often not as good as the original. So uh, we'll see how they do this year, but uh, I'm I'm excited to to cheer for them and hope that they go far. Yeah, um, that, yeah, good for them. Um, I'm rooting for them too. Uh, however, uh, I I appreciate you telling me about uh, the, the other uh, side of curling. I do think there needs to be a like what the XFL is to the NFL. There needs to be something like that for curling, where mm. um, like the I want the like personalities of the curlers to be like louder than life. I want them to like have Liberty spikes. I want the announcers to like <laughs> not, not treat the game like it's golf. Like the entire time, like the announcer is like, yeah, and here Matt goes. which is, which is funny because they are like screaming at each other a right. lot of the time, uh, especially, you know, the thrower of the stone will be, you know, hollering at the sweepers, telling them what to do. Cause they're so focused on looking straight down and sweeping the ice in front of them that they don't always see the angles and what's coming. Like the thrower does. So they will often be just absolutely shouting down the lane at them. And it's it's funny and I find it entertaining. But but I absolutely hear what you're saying. I think what they should do is have one member of the opposing team uh, that is just allowed to full on tackle one of the sweepers as they come down the lane. Yes. I think that would solve a lot of the problem. Yes. Amen. <laughs> but now you're thinking like I am. <laughs> Because otherwise, you you get you get the the. This is not an official quote, but the announcer said something along the lines of like, "And Matt Hamilton um, over here just taking it as serious as he possibly can." Um, folks at home, that was a joke. Uh, he uh, he absolutely is having a great time out there. <laughs> like 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 yes, clearly that was a joke. You can, you can see the guy the big smile on his face. Like clearly, yeah. Like <laughs> but, yeah, we want someone to hit the mustache off of Matt Hamilton's face. Yeah. Just lay him out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, or I want Matt Hamilton to pancake someone like that. That one's out of reality too. Yeah, um, absolutely. And and the last thing I want to say is, what, where are the curling video games at? I'm like, I'm sure Mario and Sonic at the Winter Olympics probably has curling, but I think the entire time I was watching, I was like, man, this could make for a really fun video game if it was like done mm-hmm. correctly. Yeah, it's got big like Wii bowling vibes for right. sure. Uh, it was like because I, I used to buy the Olympics video games when I was a kid. Um, I do remember it being in one and at the time I didn't appreciate curling and so I had like no idea what was going on how the scoring worked it's like I got six rocks in the circle why isn't it giving me six points so right yeah but uh, I agree with you I think it's it's ripe for a game you know we got that um, the rock star uh, adaptation of ping pong table tennis that was like so unnecessary but done so well like everybody loved that game when that came out um i feel like someone could do a very similar treatment for curling where it's just like way overproduced way overdone and just way better than it has any right to be yes i'm looking at remedy can we get remedies curling i think that would be a absolute delight <laughs> maybe maybe we could include some kind of like crazy plot uh, about them like going through dimensions curling like against aliens or something like that if we could get that going, I think that would uh, that would actually elevate the clout of the sport of curling. Yeah, I think, you know, and honestly, even Nintendo, if they ever did a follow up to 
uh, Wii Sports. The Joy-Cons have those motion controls, the HD mm-hmm. rumble. We could do something with that. But uh, I, I did Google. There is a, a list. Of course, there's a list online. Top five curling video games. Uh, and Mario and Sonic at the 2014 Sochi Winter Olympic Games uh, is apparently where it's at when it comes to curling. Yeah, I'll have to uh, I'll have to look into that. Maybe just at least watch some gameplay and see if uh, I can vicariously live my uh, video mm-hmm. game curling dreams through that. There is a actually a dedicated curling World Cup game as well uh, that launched in 2018 on Windows. Uh, so that might be honestly uh, the Mario and Sonic one. Not gonna lie, probably gonna be more fun because it's Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Winter Games. But if you're going for the simulation uh curling world cup experience uh that that one might be the the 2018 version might be where to go yeah i want to get um i, I want to like play it on my computer and then like get carpal tunnel from how fast i'm sweeping like just like going <laughs> back and forth on the ice i want i want that to be the experience that i have yeah absolutely absolutely and you know it's one of those things where you know the the tools that the athletes use and the equipment that they're using gets better over time uh, one of the highlights I wrote down from that top 50 clip was, I think it was like number nine. It was in the top 10, uh, number actually, no, it was number 19. Sorry. Um, but it was the only one in the video that was black and white and they were using legitimate like brooms to, to sweep. Uh, and nowadays they use like, basically it looks like a, a mop squeegee type of brush that they're using. Um, because the the ice is textured, we should probably say that. That's why they're sweeping. The ice is textured, and that's what causes the movement and the curves. And so, by sweeping, they're able to change that trajectory a little bit. Um, but it was it, it was fun to see just that one clip where they're using the old school brooms, like what you're using in your kitchen today, uh, to what they're using nowadays uh, on the ice. Yeah, they're they're using the kind of brooms that you use like on your back patio, like those super thick, like completely like inconvenient to hold or ever use in your life and like that was like the way the sport was like founded so it i'm glad it's a it's evolving a lot more than sumo is willing to evolve mm-hmm. hey nice segue buddy way to way to tie it all together absolutely so <laughs> with that i'm gonna give my rating of curling uh i definitely think my perspective of curling has changed a lot uh it's something that i definitely will say i like and i think it's a good sport i mean it went from like uh, mediocre activity to i would say actually a good sport and there's a lot that goes to it I'm going to look into some other aspects of it and some other leagues. Uh, but from what I've seen and um, indulged in, I think I'd probably give it a 78 out of 100. I think it's very good. It's on the border of greatness in the, that that 80 greatness level, but it's just not quite there yet for me. I need to indulge in more. Absolutely. I That's higher than I thought you were going to go, so I'm excited about that. Um, obviously, you know how much I love this, so I'm going to go a little bit higher. Um, but I gave, I gave the Japanese sumo wrestling in 83 and I'm a believer. So I'm, I'm going with curling. I'm going to say, I can't go any higher than that. Cause I enjoyed watching sumo videos today way more than I enjoyed watching curling. Uh, but I'm still going to go, uh, like 81 here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, it's, it's one of those things where everybody got super into it once every four years, it, like watching on TV, like, haha, look at that. You know, anyone could do this. Um, but I really think over the last two Olympics, especially, uh, it's become much more of like a, a sport that people actually enjoy watching unironically and, and have started to get into. It's gotten much more popular in the U.S. And I'm really glad to see it getting that, you know, attention as someone who enjoys niche sports like, you know, bocce, like croquet, like uh, 
pickleball, um, stuff like that. It's, it's really fun to see people really starting to get into this. Some yeah. of the best uniforms you'll see at the Olympics too. That's, that's also true. Yeah. These guys look great. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely think it's, it's gone from, um, the butt of the, uh, like a joke wing world of sports into something much more legitimized in my head. And I think, I mean, obviously in reality too, I've just kind of been, um, living, um, under my privileges of what sports I can really indulge in. So cur- curling is curling's legit, uh, no doubt. And I appreciate you bringing this to the table. And that's why, uh, I do media of the month. So we can, uh, you know, bring something into each other's light and kind of change our perspective on something new and fresh. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, John Schuster, the skip we've talked about a couple of times tonight, was the flag bearer for the opening ceremony this year. Like he, he's the guy that walked out with the U.S. flag at the start of the Olympics. So, um, yeah, props to him. Good luck to the good luck to the U.S. curling team at the Olympics this year. Absolutely legendary. Well, uh, thank you for being on, Brian. I, I appreciate you uh, uh, sitting here talking to me about uh, one of our favorite topics in this world. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. I. I look forward to coming back on and maybe talk about something more mainstream uh, someday in terms of sports world, because I know we're both big uh, NFL fans along with other sports. So uh, I hope I get back on someday. Yeah, no, no doubt. We'll, we'll, we'll sneak you back in here sooner or later. Um, but for the folks at home, uh, Brian is not just a close friend of mine. He is also one third of the main cast of Draft Punks, which I've talked about uh, a couple different times on the flagship show. And also talked about when uh, uh, on the music episode with Travis McGahey, who was one of the other thirds of it. Um, so go ahead for the folks who missed out on all of that and give us a little plug for what Draft Punks is all about. Uh, yeah, thank you. Absolutely. So uh, Draft Punks is a podcast I started a little over a year ago with my buddies Travis and Rob. Uh, it was each week. Uh, it's as uh, parenthood has dawned on me, it's become every couple of weeks to a month. Um, but we pick a new topic and we have a special guest on and we do a fantasy sports style snake draft, uh, with that topic. And so, uh, recently we've done things like, um, soundtracks, uh, favorite bands. Um, last week, uh, we did our favorite instances of time travel. That one's got a a bit of a unique format. I don't know if I would recommend (laughs) people start there. (laughs) Holden has listened to it. He can vouch for that probably. But uh, yeah, it's 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 so much fun to record and we get to talk to a lot of really cool people um, this week. Uh, so this is February 4th and this weekend I'm going to actually be recording uh, solo with three special guests and we're going to be talking about the best Pokemon in the new uh, Pokemon Legends Arceus game that just released because we've all been having a great time with that. Yes, uh, DraftPunks is great. If you've never watched the show, it's great because every episode is uh, something so unique and so different. It's not it doesn't have to be watched in order. So if you find a topic that you like, just jump right into it uh, and l- take a listen. Um, I, I big big recommends for the couple episodes I've on. Um, obviously, game shows <laughs> and donuts to the to the greatest episodes. But also, I loved uh, birds, kings, um, and also uh, any of the Disney ones are really fun to hear uh, talk about different Disney characters, uh, Disney yes. songs. I am super passionate about Disney, so you know I'm all in anytime we have a Disney episode. Uh, I was also super all in on that donuts episode because I knew we'd get to go buy donuts afterwards. So yeah, that was so a great one. That was a uh, a, a benefit of it, and uh, um, spoilers, but uh, the best donuts won that day. 
Um, once again, <laughs> thank you so much, Brian. I, it was a, a delight and, um, I'm definitely going to have to have you on again because, um, sports are, are, um, are, are loud passion that bleeds through our veins. We like sports. Yeah. We don't, <laughs> we don't care who knows at all. All right. Thank you so no. much. Um, all of you at home, uh, be sure to tell a friend about how to waste your time. Um, and also don't forget to rate us on Spotify, um, so that we can kind of get that in the mix as well. Uh, y'all have a great night. Thanks. Bye. Bye.